Welcome back to a new episode of Ew, That's Creepy. Our theme this week will be Deadly Betrayals. Melissa is going to start by telling Jackie a story about two friends, Melissa Norby and Amanda Smith, that eventually ends in betrayal. Please be aware that this episode discusses assault, sexual assault, child pornography, and the sexual assault of a child. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ew, That's Creepy. We are back, and we are back with another theme. This week, we are talking about deadly betrayals. Ooh, I'm so excited. You guys know how messy we are at this point. We love drama. You know, it's like any any theme that we can use as an excuse to get as much drama, you know we're doing it. Exactly. So... Today, I'm just going to warn you guys from the start that this story is pretty sexually devious and Ooh. disgusting. Ew. So, you know, it's we're not going to be talking about that gruesome of a murder or anything like that, but I know a lot of you guys do not want to hear things that are sexually devious, so I'll warn you right now that that's what it is about and some of it does, a lot of it does involve children, so. Oh, God. I am not judging anyone if you turn it off now because I know that that's not what people want to hear. So, warning now. Our story will start on June 22nd. I get on to my narrator voice all happy after I just left that horrible (laughs) warning. I'm like, what the hell, Melissa? Sorry, but I saw this story and I just was like, oh my god, how have I never heard of this? And I had to cover it, so. Had to. Our story starts on June 22nd, 2016, where firefighters in Bemidji, Minnesota, are notified of a mobile home being on fire at a local trailer park. After getting the home under control, firefighters entered the home and discovered a woman's deceased body under a mattress. The woman's body was badly burned. However, firefighters could see that she was fully clothed, duct taped, and had been strangled prior to the fire. So they alerted police immediately who came and um, began an active crime scene. After further investigation and learning the identity of the mobile homeowner, police discovered that there was also a child who would have been in the home at the time, but however, they could not find the child anywhere. Let me just take it back for a second because I don't want to just say who the deceased was because that will give the entire story away. So let's take it from the top and our story will start with a friendship between two women, Melissa Norby Norby, and Amanda Smith. So they were friends as kids and they grew up and stayed close. Don't really know that much about their childhood or anything like that. We just know that they were friends um when since they were kids and kind of had that relationship where they just stayed close as they grew up by the time that they were in their 20s melissa norby was briefly married to a man named joshua ellington however joshua was convicted of indecent exposure and the two shortly divorced after that oh gross 
Following her divorce, Melissa gave birth to a son with an on-again, off-again boyfriend. Not much could be found out about this man except for the fact that he is apparently a registered sex offender. He is also gross. (laughs) (laughs) All right. After her son was born, Melissa tried to just focus on her baby for a while and let go of chasing these men. When Melissa's son was five, her friend Amanda became pregnant with her first child, a daughter named Brittany. As Amanda's daughter grew up, Melissa would uh, babysit Brittany along with her own son. And anytime Amanda really needed her to, she would babysit. So, you know, they were good friends. They grew up. They babysat each other's children, trusted each other, all those good things. As Melissa's son got older and started to go to school and get more independent and things like that, Melissa began to put herself back out there more by going online and meeting men. She was known to um, be a little kinky. She enjoyed rough sex. And her friends specifically say that she enjoyed being choked and that she enjoyed, quote, daddy little girl, quote, scenarios that, um, that was a fetish that she had. So I'm not going to say anything about that. That's what her friends confirmed she was into. Is that, like, relevant to the story? Yeah. Okay. Some of the men that she was, that she were meeting online because that, the reason, I'm glad that you said that, the reason why that is relevant is because she kind of was at this point in her life, in her 30s, trying to follow this daddy little girl kink that she has online. And that's kind of, again, a lot of the men that she's meeting are sex offenders and these gross kind of men because she's following this kind of, I'm not saying if you're into that, you're going to be a sex offender or anything. But I'm saying that in her pursuit of following this, quote, daddy little girl kink, she ends up meeting a lot of disgusting men. When Melissa was around 35, she started to tell Amanda that she had met a man online named Chance. Okay. (laughs) Who enjoyed the same type of fetishes and role play fantasies and all that that Melissa had. The two engaged in a sexual relationship a rough sexual relationship that had some violence. However, shortly after they entered into this relationship, Melissa told Amanda and friends that Chance had punched her during an argument, um, punched her in the face, choked her until she was unconscious, and then raped her against his SUV. Oh, fresh charges. Yeah. Following the rape, Melissa cut Chance off and told friends that she was going to stay away from him. He kept pursuing her and things like that. So she's like, yeah, I'm trying to stay away from him, but, you know, he's still texting me. And the friends are just like, okay, well, stop talking to him. He's clearly disgusting. However, despite all the drama with her love life, uh, Melissa and Amanda are still friends, (laughs) having their 30-year friendship. And even though Amanda knew that Melissa was dating these sketchy and gross men, she trusted Melissa to, you know, still babysit and things like that. So... In June 2016, now we're all caught up, and so let's return back to our house, our mobile home in Bemenji, Missouri, that's on fire. Police discover that the burning home belonged to Melissa Norby. Mm -hmm. Shortly after arriving on scene, um, police saw Amanda pull up to the house, and she's frantically screaming at them, saying her daughter was inside. (laughs) 
So Amanda pulls up and is like, of course, she's upset that her friend Melissa was just killed. But she also is like, okay, but she was babysitting my daughter. So where is my daughter? Police told Amanda, though, that they're like, firefighters just searched up and down and we found your, we found Melissa, but we did not find a child at all. So mm-hmm. Amanda is happy about that, but at the same time, they are so scared because they have no idea where her five-year-old daughter, Brittany, is. Wow. Police get in touch with Melissa and Norby's relatives and they confirm that Melissa's son was staying with family in the Twin Cities area. So he was not around. So um, Melissa's son is fine. However, Amanda's daughter, they look for her. um, They look for Brittany in the woods around the mobile home, in the mobile home, in the trailer park and things like that, in the nearby bushes. They're looking for her everywhere and they don't find her at all. And firefighters are asking Amanda, what would your plan be if your home caught fire? Like, what do you think that Brittany would do? And Amanda said, she's like, Brittany trusts Melissa. She would have just stayed with Melissa and done whatever Melissa told her to do because she trusted her and has known her for so long. It seemed that Amanda was correct because Brittany was nowhere in sight. But, of course, police initially think that maybe Amanda has something to do with it and that Brittany's father maybe were in on it together or something like that. So at first, that is what they think. But Amanda and Brittany's father just gave up their cell phones easily and had alibis that checked out. So police had nothing against them. And it was apparent that they were so concerned and upset by what had happened and by the fact that their daughter had now disappeared. I'm sure. So by now... Now that they kind of, like, crossed Brittany's parents off the list, Amanda's crossed off, obviously, and Brittany's father, the police are now starting to wonder, did someone purposely kill Melissa just to kidnap Brittany? It seemed that this was their best bet since Melissa was found bound and strangled prior to the fire being set. Yeah, and Brittany is nowhere. Exactly. So they're kind of like, okay, this seems like it obviously was planned to take Brittany, not just to kill Melissa. Makes sense. Police start by looking into all the sketchy men in Melissa's past, um, since there were clearly many of them. First, they started with an ex-boyfriend of Melissa's. They had been together for several years and then broken up a little bit and recently rekindled around the time of her death. This was an ex at the top of the suspect list because he also had a prior arson conviction. So police off the bat are like, oh, that's him. Sounds familiar. But the ex-boyfriend was found and questioned, and he had an alibi. So the police were kind of done with him, and on to someone else. They questioned a neighbor that had babysat Melissa's son from time to time. It was rumored that he also had a sexual relationship with Melissa, so police wondered if there could be a connection due to proximity and, you know, circumstances. But the neighbor also had a tight alibi, and he was also checked off. Investigators then turned to good old social media and look into who she was communicating with online. Around this time, friends of, uh, and all, this is like so fast, I will say that the police, when I say they're looking in and investigating, this is like within the same day they're looking on her social media. So, I am really, because it involved a child, they were on this so fast. So well, that's good. 
And really soon, um, Melissa's friends reached out to police and told them about her sexual preference and particularly the daddy little girl fetish that she had because they kind of said they didn't know if maybe this could play into it. And then they specifically said that she met this guy named Chance who had been aggressive with her and had sexually assaulted her and physically assaulted her and all this stuff. Police look into Chance and um, I think that they found his him posting on her social media or they were friends or something. They discovered that Chance is actually Jacob Kin, another registered sex offender in the area. What the? Ew. He somehow drove a food truck named Jake's Eats. I don't know how you can drive a food truck after you're a convicted sex offender, but okay. Yeah. He actually was involved in a child pornography case when he... When he was involved in a child pornography case, he posted an ad on Craigslist asking to take photos of young girls between the ages of, like, 8 to 10 in, I think, scanty clothing and things like that. And he was found convicted after chatting with an undercover police officer who was posing as the girl's mother. So those two cases resulted in a five-year prison sentence. But I read in one article that something about him only serving 65 days. What? How does that happen? I only saw that one article, so I really don't know. But I was like, oh, that better have not happened. I hope that's not true. (laughs) It's clear that Jake Kin is disgusting and he's a sexual predator. So he's now at the top of police's list, obviously, because he's so gross. Um... At the time of Melissa's death, Jake was still on probation for getting out of jail and those sex offender charges. So he was on probation for that. So investigators could easily find his address and everything. Jake did, um, they had his own little plot of land. So they went to his home, but they couldn't find him. And, you know, they didn't find any traces of Brittany. So at this point, police, they just are like, okay, he's on probation. Why don't we ask his probation officer for help? And they were really smart and they had the probation officer call Jake and they were tracking his phone. So they saw where it would ping and where he was. Hmm. So that was, they're really smart with their technology and their work. So that's exactly what they did. And the parole officer called Jake and just casually says, that since there's a missing child in the area and he's a known sex offender that police have to question all local sex offenders and to just come in and basically it'll be this quick little thing. And so he says, okay. And police also noticed that his cell phone pinged at a tower in Big Fork, a town that is rural and woodsy. And they, I think at that time, have police just go straight out there while he comes into questioning. So they're really on top of things. Jake comes in. He thinks it's just this basic little thing. The questioning starts off kind of slow with, like I said, just, you know, where were you that day and this and that. They're not really turning up any heat. He does honestly just admit that he heard about the fire and he did realize it was Melissa. But he said that she was just an old co-worker. So he was like, he didn't say he had any sort of relationship with her or anything. He just said an old co-worker. Two hours into questioning, police finally turn up the heat and they tell him that they know he was sexually involved with Melissa Norby prior to her death 
and that she told friends that he sexually assaulted her and that whole story. When that's brought up, Jake denies having any real, any relationship with Melissa, not even sexual. And he said he didn't find her attractive at all. Yeah. Yeah. He was pretty rude about it. I mean, yeah, you'd have to say all that. Yeah. After she had just died, but, and that she made up these rumors because she was jealous of him because he said that they were just old coworkers and that she basically wanted to be with him and he didn't want to be with her. And so she made up these rumors to get back at him for being with another coworker. Okay. He said he hadn't seen her in months though. Police then show Jake a photo of Brittany and ask, have you ever seen this child before? And they don't say who it is or anything like that. And he says, yeah, I saw her. Um, he says something about Melissa showed him a photograph of her when she was two. And police, the investigators are immediately are like, what the hell? She's five. How would you remember a picture of just a girl that you saw once when she was two? And yeah. now, now she's like five the picture that they showed him now she's five how would you be like oh i remember that that's creepy and they know his record they know he's a disgusting sex offender so jake's alibi for the time of the crime he says he was at a fishing spot in clear lake which was 50 miles away from the crime scene however when investigators looked into jake's cell phone they discovered like I said, it pinged at Big Fork, which was 40 miles away from this Clear Lake fishing resort he said he was at. Police bring him that information, but Jake doesn't budge, and he still says he was just fishing. Police continue to question Jake for two more hours about his relationship with Melissa, the cell phone records, and Jake asked for an attorney, and he didn't admit anything. I will say, there's a video, and police just straight up stand in front of the door and tell him he can't leave, even though he says, I want an attorney and I want to leave. They, like, don't let him. Ugh. I know. So, Jake is a disgusting scumbag skis, but at the same time, I was like, okay, but police, you can't just do that just because you know he's a skis. Yeah. But anyway... So they're still not letting him go, and he's like, okay, I want an attorney. He's not saying anything. But Jake does say, for some reason, that he'll leave property with them. He'll leave his Jeep and his cell phone and his clothes. Don't know why, but he did. And so as soon as he leaves, literally, like, the people in the police department who uh, work with technology, those investigators, just go to town on the phone. And they find all the stuff they find first a disgusting amount of child pornography. Ugh. Like on the daily, he was looking at child pornography. Ooh, gross. Multiple times throughout the day. So disgusting. Ugh. I thought that that was going to happen. So that's one thing that they find on his phone. And then the other thing that they find is a large amount of texts that were deleted between him and Melissa. And so they quickly are going through all the texts. And girl. Investigators determined that Jake and Melissa had been working together on a plot to kidnap her best friend Amanda's five-year-old daughter. (gasps) So that Jake could have this child to himself as as like a quote-unquote toy. Ew. Why would he give them his phone? I don't know. Idiot. They initially planned that Melissa would babysit Brittany 
and then take her somewhere to go out and play and that there would be a carjacking gone wrong that would turn into this assault and Melissa would survive and Brittany would be kidnapped and just this stupid, stupid story. But they didn't want to do that because they didn't want to get anyone else involved and Jake, I think, believed that, like, he couldn't, the carjacking wouldn't work. So they decided to just go with kind of like a breaking and entering type of thing. And they even found in text messages that a week or so prior, they were planning to do this same sort of thing already in that Melissa had asked Amanda basically to babysit Brittany or offered. And Amanda was like, yeah, you know, no problem because that's her friend. She didn't think anything of it. And Brittany had gotten sick, and so they didn't end up doing it. And in the text messages, Melissa is telling Jake that, and he's, like, upset about it, that they can't go on with this disgusting little plan. And I, in one article I read, I only saw this in one article, but I read that they even saw a a photograph that Melissa had sent Jake of Brittany sitting on Melissa's bed at one point. Ew. That's so gross. After reading all the texts... And they see that this is their plan that, you know, basically Melissa was all in helping Jake do this. And up until that night, she was all in. Investigators kind of come up with their own assumptions about Melissa's murder and Brittany's disappearance. They believe that Melissa intentionally asked to babysit Brittany to, you know, totally betray Amanda and carry out this vile, disgusting plan. She dropped off her 10-year-old son at her close family's house without telling them that she was having this sleepover. Because obviously, why would she drop her son off if she was just going to babysit another kid? Yeah. Melissa returned home and told Jake, who came over and then tied Melissa up as a staged robbery sexual assault plan. But investigators believe that Jake knew all along that he didn't want to have any witnesses to the crime. And that he didn't have any romantic feelings towards Melissa at all. He just was disgusting and was using her to, like, go with this plan. So police believe that Jake tied up Melissa, convincing her it was part of the plan, and then strangled her to death, betrayed her, took the child by himself, and then set the house on fire to cover it up. Wow, a double betrayal. A double cross in this just disgusting plan. That's horrible. So what happened to Brittany? So with all the text messages, police decide to further investigate Jake's property. So like I said, they were really smart and they had his location in Big Fork really fast. So when he left, like even though he left really soon after, not really soon, he'd been questioned for four hours He left, but at the same time, police were already searching that area in Big Fork. Yeah. So, luckily for them, they go out to this plot of land, um, and they also knew kind of an area to search for because that day, they also got really lucky in a tip from a local police dispatcher. This person recognized that name, and they said, I'm pretty sure that the Kin family has a property in Big Fork, Missouri. So the police were like, obviously, that something is going on He if he's out there. So they go out to this plot of land. Once again, super lucky for them. 
God's will, they went up and that they saw it was a field and it had rained the night before. So they could clearly see tire tracks had taken out all like the flowers and the weeds. And so they were like, oh my God, (laughs) they follow it. They eventually get to a gravel road and they just pull off and walk because they don't want to, you know, disturb anything or any tracks. They don't know who would be there. And they get to the end and they see this little white camper and they don't see a truck or anything by it. They just see the camper. It's these two special agents and one of them is named Rob Frake. He calls his supervisor and he's like, look, we found this camper and he's taking a video showing. I don't think at the same time, like I think he told him and then he hung up and he started taking a video of everything just to get proof that there was a crime scene. So everything, what I'm about to say is uh, on video. He walks up to the camper and it's just shut with weird electrical tape around it. He just takes the electrical tape off and he goes, he opens the door and you hear him say like basically, hi, like, who are you? And to his surprise, you can see a little blonde girl and she's sitting in the upper bed of the camper and she's just looking at him and she's sitting there in her little pink pajamas and she says her name is Brittany. Mm-hmm. What? Oh my god. And her wrist. I'm shook. I know. So he found her and she was alive. Wow. I have no words. Like, I'm obviously so happy. But I was not expecting that. Hell yes. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they weren't expecting that either, to be honest. Yeah. But... I mean, you know, they were really... I mean, still awful, because I can only imagine. They're really excited to see her, but at the same time, her wrists and her ankles are bound with duct tape, and her hair is all disheveled, and so... How long had she been uh, gone? This was just, like, the next day. Wow! This was how fast it was. Yes! Get it, police. In the video documented by Agent Rob, he asked Brittany how she got there, and if she was hurt... And she holds up her arms and stuff and says that her arms hurt a little, but she's okay besides that. Hmm. Brittany tells agents that one of Missy's friends brought her there just that morning. You know, hence the fresh tracks. I'm sure that means Melissa. Yep. And Brittany was even able to describe the friend's white car that she had been in and she said that it had his name on the side and remember jake drove a food truck that said jake's eats wow and she said that she was first at this man's house and that she described the house and she even said that there was a mama cat there who had kittens so she kind of told them all this information and special agents finally went into the camper and they removed Brittany, took her restraints off and Special Agent Rob held Brittany close to him, and they took a photo and sent it on his cell phone to the other agents and just said, arrest him. <laughs> Are they going to tell her mom? <laughs> Awkward laughter. I mean, but, happy laughter? Yeah. it's like, yes, just, like, get him, like, go arrest him. But else they're going to tell her mom. Yeah, that was the first thing they did. They texted and said arrest him to make sure he didn't go anywhere. And then they called her mom. And her mom was just ecstatic. Amanda was just so happy to know that Brittany was safe. But at the same time, um, they when they finally were able to find Brittany, 
it was clear when they took her back that she had been raped. Ugh. So. No. But. But I'm still very happy she's alive. She was alive. so disgusting. I know. So, uh, since it was just like within hours that Jake had left the police station, they call him back (laughs) because they obviously know so Jake comes back and he's like, what changed in a couple of hours? And he doesn't give up any information. Um, the phone that you gave us. <laughs> yeah, you fucking idiot. So they don't give up. He gives up nothing. And it's just, you know, still not saying anything. And finally, after, you know, giving him one final chance, they're like, oh, you want to know what changed? And they show him the picture. And uh, special agent Rob owning Brittany. And they're like, that's what changed. Shook. We found Brittany. So now, Jake tells them that he admits he knew Brittany would be at Melissa's home the night of the murder, but he, and this is, again, going to be disgusting, he claims that the intent was for him and Melissa to engage in sexual acts with one another and just view Brittany to basically, like, turn themselves on. It's just so fucking gross. I know. I'm. It's so disgusting, but that was what he said. And I even read in one article, and I only read this one place, that he apparently claimed that they had done this before a year prior. Okay. I only read that in one spot, and I really don't... <laughs> I think, honestly, that they kind of got their sources mixed up because I did not see that anywhere else, but... However, that is the only incriminating information he would give up. That was all he said. Was he basically said that that was why he was there. And I don't know the rest. He just asked for an attorney after that. <laughs> Using all the information that they had gathered over the past few weeks, investigators had all their evidence. They put the pieces together. And kind of like how I said before, they believed that on the day of Melissa's murder... She invited Jake over, letting him know that this was their plot. She believed that he was going to come over and assault her and act like they were going to have this kidnapping plot. Police believe that Jake talked Melissa into having sex, tied her up by her wrist and her ankles, and then proceeded to strangle her with a belt until she was dead. However, I will... Let me touch back on that a little bit later. Um... Either way, he strangled her to death and she clearly did not know that she was going to be killed because her texts from before were plotting to do this and to take Brittany after and she was in on it. He went back to the house after he killed Melissa. He took Brittany with him. He assaulted Brittany at his house, left her tied up and concealed. He went back to Melissa's home, set fire to her house, went back to his house, got Brittany and then took her to the camper and left her there and then by the time all of that happened he had gotten the call from police and went in there for questioning so that was so lucky that investigators had been lucky enough to find her because like it's so disgusting what were his intentions to just have her out there in the camper it's so disgusting right however Jake clearly, you know, he didn't think that police were on him that fast, and they were, so they got him. They had so much evidence against him, and Jake took a plea deal and was convicted of three felonies. First-degree sexual sexual conduct with a minor, 
kidnapping and second degree unintentional murder. Police couldn't prove that Melissa's death was intentional because she had a history of liking to have sex with restraints and strangulation and things like that. But it was pretty obvious to police that he had planned to kill her. They just couldn't prove it. Yeah, it just happened to happen the day they had this elaborate scheme. Yeah, that they were texting about. Yeah. Jake was sentenced to 52 years in prison, which, to me, that seems hella light. Yeah, like, that's not enough. You raped a five-year-old child. That and should be... killed somebody. A hundred. Yeah. I did see police could still impose a child pornography case against him because of his cell phone and all the disgustingness in it, but... I read that he, if he does his time, he could get out after. But, I mean, he'll be old, but still, like, he could be 80 or something. So, they better press that case. I don't even... They better do something to prevent that. Yeah. Part of the reason, I mean, that he did get the plea deal was because they didn't want Brittany to have to testify against him in court. So, I totally get that because if they took it to court, he definitely would have gotten longer, but... I do agree. You obviously don't want a little child who just went through all that to have to go through even more. Yeah, that's horrible. However, Brittany wrote a victim impact statement that was written at uh, Jake's sentencing. Even though she was just five at the time of the crimes. I think she was like seven or eight or so when she wrote it. And in the letter, she said that she hates Jake. She hates the ways he, she hated the way that he played with her. But she thanked him for letting her play with his kitties. That just rips my heart out. Like, oh, I have to hold back tears right now because that's just so fucked up. Like, F Jake. That's all I can say. Oh my God. I hate him so much. Um, but okay. On the bright side, Amanda Smith tells True Crime Daily that her young daughter is still recovering each day and is actively in therapy. And Amanda said that Brittany is still the same rambunctious child at heart, a tomboy who's always playing with her brothers, loves animals, roughhousing, and um, basically, like, all of this didn't kill her spirit. And so uh, she seems like Brittany is really doing great. That's crazy. The officers, special agents, the investigators involved, they were all honorably mentioned by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children for their hard work in finding Brittany so quickly and saving her, despite the unfortunate odds of many kidnapped children. You know, they basically were on it so fast that they really were able to solve this case. Good. And so, the last piece of this puzzle is clearly the craziest one. Like, why would Melissa Norby do something so heinous and disgusting? To her friend. To someone, a friend of 30 years. How would Melissa think that this kidnapping plan would even work? And then it's like, would she just feel no remorse if he didn't double-cross you? You just would go on knowing that your best friend's daughter is quote-unquote, what you wanted to be a toy. It's so disgusting. Horrendous. And now, I will say, it's clear based on the text messages that Melissa believed that she was going to be in some sort of relationship with Jake after this. 
So police believe that's her only reason for really going along with this. And her family believes that, that she was just so like in love with him and involved with him that she wanted to do this. But there's a lot of other people who think that maybe she was also a predator and that she, you know, a lot of articles do allege that the texts did say that she was going to be involved in this disgusting relationship too. Yeah. In an article written by a user called Art Nunnymus, the author made some really great points because they brought up, I just want to bring this up because I thought this was really, really, really weird. So in every article, like in especially the newer ones and in the True Crime Daily, this author brought up the fact that, you know, these articles all say that Melissa's body was found fully clothed and tied up, which is fine. But police and prosecutors all say that she, that Jake had engaged in a sexual attack on her, like that they had had sex and that was why he tied her up and he killed her. So... This author is kind of saying, like, the some things with the prosecution, it's like, that doesn't even make sense, those two things. And they're just kind of saying that, you know, just, I don't know. I just thought that was weird, and they brought that up, just basically saying that it was weird. But they also brought up another point that they think that they agree that Jake never really cared for Melissa. His only intention was using her to gain access to Brittany. And they even brought up something really sinister is that they said, you know, when he attacked Melissa and he uh, basically knocked her unconscious and had sex with her, they basically said that, you know, maybe that was the only way he could have sex with her because he told police like that he didn't find her attractive at all. Yeah. So they were kind of like, that's kind of just another point to the fact that he didn't care about her at all. And this was his whole plan. I, that does, that really has, is neither near nor there, but I saw that article and I was like, they're making some really good points that I'm so surprised that like not even the prosecutors made. Points were made. True crime readers really are crazy, but yeah. Melissa's family admits to her guilt, but they like to believe that she was killed trying to back out of the plot and prevent Jake Ken from it from trying to take Brittany. So they really think that, you know, that was why he actually killed her was because she somehow tried to back out of it. Okay. But at the same time, you know, the some people there's no evidence saying that at all. There's no evidence proving that she tried to back out or fight him at all. She was tied up when they found her mm-hmm. and she had been strangled. So I mean, I don't know. Although this case is crazy, you know, is so much drama, I will let's just end on a positive note and say that it is a really great example of when you have tech savvy police departments who are willing to collaborate and all work together. And if police and special agents, you know, could simultaneously work together and be more tech savvy and do all these things simultaneously, maybe child cases could be solved more because, like, they were on it so fast and they had every department simultaneously, like, okay, call the PO and while you do that, the tech people will ping where he's at. And... They were literally going through his cell phone records while the other police officers were simultaneously finding Brittany. Oh, yeah. They They, killed it. They really were doing so much. They killed that case. Good work, police. Yep. So, 
you know, there are some other things I could say. I did have some other tidbits about Jake and, like, some points about, you know, I don't think that this was probably his first sexual assault or doing any of this because of how frequent it was on his phone and in his past. But I don't even want to keep going into that because he's just so disgusting and I just feel, like, filthy even talking about him. He doesn't him. even deserve our time. He doesn't. Amanda Smith and Brittany deserve our time. Exactly. And for Melissa, it is sad that she lost her life, but it's clear that she was involved in this plot. So I really, like, just don't even know what to say about that. How can you betray your friend like that? That's all I'll say. Your friend and, like, someone that you... I think this was her godchild. Someone that you were supposed to look after and take care of. Ew. Alright, so I hope that you guys like this episode even though it was totally disgusting and he's totally disgusting it is just like a double betrayal that was crazy it was it was rough though and if you guys want to watch um like i said there's a true crime daily video about this just type in melissa norby on youtube and i will have all my links as always so let me know what you guys think thanks for listening guys that was Thank a you good guys. episode oh, thanks jackie I don't even want to keep saying the name Melissa anymore. I feel filthy to have it. (laughs) (laughs) It's not you, girl. (laughs) Thank you. I need reassured. (laughs) Thanks, guys, for listening. Oh. Misa says bye. (laughs) We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at ew, that's creepy podcast, or send us an email at ew, that's creepy podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.